Start us off here, Sammy. Welcome. Welcome back to Studio 603. Me and Sammy keeping it real. Up in Kingston, Ontario. Come pay us a visit. We're so glad you're listening. You're our family. We love you so much. That was pretty good. <laughs> let's, ro- let's roll with that. Yeah, we're back. The dynamic duo. We're back for another fresh track. Of 6.03. Fajita Night. Fajita Night. Uh, yes, I was going to tell you about Fajita Night. So, uh, as some of you know, who have listened to the We Could Fall In Love episode, Sam and I went through some of the 36 questions that you asked somebody to fall in love. There were mild uh, sparks on my end. Anyways, we I was at a Fajita Night with some of my PhD cohort, hosted by Barbara, who is just a wonderful host. And we dove into the questions, and we made it through like 50, we made it through like half the questions in one night. Me, Barbara, Amir, and Alice. And it was a great night. I wouldn't say that anyone fell in love, but some beautiful stories emerged out of that. So I've just parked those in my back tool belt. And I'm totally going to whip those out uh, for, like, party tricks. That's good. And, or dates. It's like, almost like an icebreaker. Yeah. 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 Icebreaker game. Yeah. And I'd rather play an icebreaker game, though, with, like, putting an Oreo on my forehead <laughs> and catching it in my mouth. <laughs> so... <laughs> maybe do questions and then do one with an Oreo. Like Oreo icebreaker. It's like, oh, is that too serious? Let's break out the Oreos. Keep it light. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I'm yeah, I'm curious to see if anybody else took a little deeper dive into the modern love section of New York Times. We could almost categorize people in two different categories on this planet. One I'm excited to hear what the categories are. <laughs> icebreakers with deep and meaningful questions. Two, icebreakers. Oreos down the face. <laughs> Catch them in your mouth. Uh, <laughs> I'm number two. <laughs> no, you, you, you loved even meaningful too. Maybe if I've known someone for like five years. Yeah, that's true. You gotta yeah. be. You gotta yeah. have like closed off. Like you can have deep and meaningful conversations, but they don't necessarily show your true self. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I'm gonna have a deep and meaningful conversation with you. About anything, but whether or not you want to give like little secret stuff about yourself is a whole different ball game. Oh, okay. So, uh, at Fajita Night, the one of the questions is, "What do you value most about a friendship?" And somebody shared something that totally revolutionized how I view friendships. Okay. But the person said that uh, friendship to them was the amount of how deep how deep they could get with a person how much they could share so like and for this person that was contained with like one person like they you know it's somebody you share your darkest moments your brightest moments the best the worst the ugliest uh but that's kind of the metric that they used to quantify like how close a relationship was was how much 
kind of deep information they could share about their life. Which I was like, yes, that makes so much sense. That is pretty cool, man. I think that's like the ultimate like thing to do is share them, but I feel like there's a like multifactorial approach to it. Yes, totally. Uh, and this person, I think, was thinking of their best friend, and this, that was like the person who they've shared their trials with. And... Because I, I think having friends is like being a poker master. <laughs> like if you have, okay. you have like Bulbasaur, you have like <laughs> Charmander and like Squirtle, and like they all have like different strengths and weaknesses. Like some people, I just want to sit down and like rip out a game of Fortnite with. But I don't necessarily want to have to sit there and be like, how's this going? How's that going? Like, sometimes I just want to, like, a bro. Or, or a you're, you're bro, about that. bro meaning... Yeah, man, man, or, man or woman. Yeah, I just yeah. mean, like, a dude. Like a homie. Uh, yeah. Home skillet. <laughs> dude sauce. Bro skifus. Whatever you want to call them. And that person could be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of you just want to sit back, relax, and chew the cud with... You know, mm. whereas some people, you don't see them much. Maybe you just want to like, you want to like cast that hook, mm. go deep trolling. Mm. So I think, yeah, it's definitely like Pokemon. You have like five Pokemon that you <laughs> fulfill different roles for you. That's really beautiful. You like that? Thank you for sharing that. It's, you're welcome. Well, actually that bridges really nicely with this week's topic. This week's topic. Well, we got to this topic because we were discussing what we could do, and then I said, "Well, we don't really ever speak about you, so we might as well like give a little piece of mat out to the audience." Mm. Mm. So, one thing I always find myself asking Matt is, "What one, are you doing with your life? <laughs> why, why do you like? You got one of the most." It looks relaxed, PhD programs, but it's probably one of the craziest research PhD programs. Mm. And I feel like, you know, you're, you're busy. You've got things going on in your head. I know you well enough now to know when you're in stressy mode and when you're pretending that you're not stressed. Like, sometimes I call Matt out on it. I'll be very sly about it. I would be playing a video game or like just chilling. And then Matt will just go <sighs> subconsciously, <laughs> and then I'll pick it up and I'll just, "Why are you sighing for?" And I'll say, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's my body just like screaming, at, calling out yeah. in anguish and stress. But. So, my question to you this week is. What's your primary focus in in your research? And, you know, you've told me a little bit about it. Obviously, we don't, like, we talk. I just thought it's really interesting that you should share it with um, the fellow listeners. The 603 fam. Yeah. As we're calling them. Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. Um, partly because my brain has been in overdrive and kind of totally immersed in my research over the last uh, couple of weeks in particular, I am gearing up for my first comprehensive exam, which is 
essentially, I will get a manila envelope with a single sheet of 8.5 by 11 piece of paper in it on March 13th. And I will open it, and it will be a question that is, is lo- basically as long as the sheet. It's like, a, it's like one really long question, uh, and then I have three weeks from that date to craft a 20 to 30 page paper. <laughs> so just let people know, is this, is this based on your research? So has someone sat down and read yes. a paper you've done? Yes, so I'm about to dive in um, to what that is about. Uh, which I guess I'll come back to that in a second. Um, so my, when people ask me, Matt, what are you doing in your PhD? My first swipe is to say, oh, I'm looking at uh, mental health in youth. And some people are like, oh, okay, like that's great. And then they, you know, we start, we start talking about Oreos and other stuff. Uh, other people are like, oh, like what specifically are you looking into with your research? And then my second pass is I am looking at youth suicide prevention. I can summarize my research in three words, youth suicide prevention. And every single person who I've told that to has fully embraced and uh, like a sense of deep curiosity about that or a sense of... um, their lives have been personally affected by that subject matter. For example, I was going across the border uh, last weekend and I got stopped both ways. Uh, well, at the border, you get stopped. You have to show your passport. And I have an American passport, but Ontario drivers, driver plates, car plates. So I'm a bit of anomaly, like rolling up. And so they always ask, like, oh, what are you doing in Canada? And I always say, I'm a student. And then the, both times the officers ask, well, what are you studying? And I, studied, I said, well, I'm studying youth suicide prevention. And they just, like, immediately stopped and, like, looked at me. And they, one of them said, this is totally beyond the inspection, but I, I just want to know what you're doing with that. So it's, like, it's been, that piece has been, like, a passport, um, a conversational passport into people's lives. I've had so many people... Um, come up to me and just start disclosing um, a, p- a piece of their past from years ago saying, oh my goodness, back when I blah, blah, blah. Or people will say, oh my goodness, my cousin or my best friend, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. So uh, that's been really um, encouraging, those kind of interactions to have. Uh, and so many people like in that space when I'm, when I'm talking about my research, I'm talking about, um, suicide. Like I used to think that I had to defend why I was studying what I was studying. Um, and, but people are just kind of saying like, no, keep going, like keep, just go. Like this is really important. And, uh, the other half of what I'm studying is within the scope of suicide prevention, I am looking at the sense of belonging as a key buffer against suicide and when it fails at how it acts as a catalyst for either suicidal desire or a suicidal attempt. And if somebody isn't interested or um, we, don't, we don't even necessarily have to talk about suicide prevention, 
but belonging is something that everybody can relate to because it is a fundamental human need that is at everybody's core that looks different for everybody, but it's something that is at the heartbeat of everybody. So uh, I feel very uh, blessed in that I have kind of two like really big flagships that people can really rally behind um, or that people have rallied behind when I do talk about my research, um, suicide and, and belongingness. I should, t- I should take a break, breath and see if, that was good. <laughs> see if Sam has anything to say or add. Well, I do think it's interesting. I mean, I also think when you tell people, I'm just saying this purely from my own perspective, I may be an anomaly, but I think it's like a little bit like, it's a little bit heavy, you know, like normally when you hear someone send a, doing a PhD, you know, going to be like, oh, I'm studying quantum <laughs> physics or something. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that your research does is I think it opens up a very unique pathway in someone's brain to, like, introspection. What does it mean to study that? And I think people are very curious to know what you're studying, mm. but I think they can be pretty, um, not scared, but maybe apprehensive to ask you more about what you're studying. Yes. That, so would you say... That's you, a good point. Would you say you're very open to explaining what you're studying or researching, or would you say, you know... To be blunt, obviously, if you're happy sharing it, yeah. but obviously everyone's first question is why are you studying what you're studying? Yeah. So yeah. So that's a that's a really good question. Uh, so I can always, I, I, everyone wants to know why you do what you do. Why are you a designer? Why are you an artist? Yeah. Why are you? Like a nurse. Like why are you choosing nursing? Like must run in your family. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so it's just a, it's a natural um, question, but I think around any of like the re- like some of our really taboo subjects in yeah, our culture, yeah, that's what and like from. man, if you want a taboo uh, subject, suicide is like at the crowning top of that list. Um, and one of my like secret objectives is to be able to create spaces in people's lives and in our communities where people are comfortable um like confronting that's not the right word facing this like very dark thing and just holding it and being able to look at it and and i've I've been able to do that with uh people at like a one-on-one level um both with like suicide survivors families who've been deeply affected by suicide. Um, but I, yeah, I want a, a very deliberate and intentional space where uh, like, it's not so um, closeted and like, uh, repressed, because I think that can have some really negative effects. But the long, to get back to your original question, <laughs> um, I I do I do wish 
people would ask me more about why I'm researching what I'm researching. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, I think many many of you know that uh, I lost my sister three years ago, and that is like the like driving horsepower behind it. Um, but it's not it's not all dark. Like I'm studying, so what I'm really studying underneath the hood of my research is. Uh, how do we make people come alive? Like that's what I'm really studying is how do we inspire people um, in that in the like uh, root meaning of that word to like bring life into people. How do we do that um, both now and also with people who are in their darkest hour? Um, how how do you breathe life into that space with that person? Um, and uh, belongingness is kind of the I don't I don't think belongingness is the the token CPR when it comes to suicide, but it seems to be bleeding out through uh, so much of what modern theory is kind of pointing towards. And this is one thing I see with you when we speak sometimes when you use me as a soundboard is is a very niche or very small pool of study right mm. not much has been i wouldn't say invested in terms of money but invested in in research because i'll be blunt with you is i wouldn't know where to start if mm. i sat down and said i'm going to look into this i'm going to study this as my phd mm. so how would you we know why you started but my next question, or the one I would say I'd feel like I want to ask is, is how did you get traction to mm. start yeah. moving forward? Yes, good question. So some researchers at Harvard, in conjunction with a lot of other kind of leading researchers of our time, uh, put out a paper two years ago that basically said, after 50 years of research in the suicide field, we know nothing. We know a lot about what are the possible risk factors. We know a lot about uh, you know, things that have gone wrong in people's lives who have taken that step. But uh, basically, when it comes to being able to predict when... Uh, somebody is going to um, jump off of the Golden Gate Bridge. We know Jack Squat. Like we don't. We don't know. We know nothing. Like we don't have any predictive power, which is really uh, depressing initially. Uh, but you know what? What suicide research is doing right now is they're trying to come up with these very large formulas that are looking at a l huge data sets. Uh, vast populations of people and trying to crank out um, logarithms for you know what's how can we predict this how can we predict this so that's where uh, research is going less than four percent of research that's done in the field today uh, is qualitative and what I mean by qualitative is is sitting down with people and having conversations uh, it's the spoken word storytelling 
focus groups, that type of research. It's, it's not being done. What the field right now is very focused on numbers and statistics and, you know, which, which makes sense, you know, if you're yeah. going to try to beat cancer, you look at the numbers. Yeah. You yeah. You're going to bring as many people who yeah. has cancer as possible, you know, cancer of the toenail into your clinic running trial, 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 trial. Um, but it's so tricky because, um, with something like, uh, suicidal desire, it ebbs and flows like the tides and it comes and goes and it, um, it's very difficult to kind of capture and take a snapshot at, you know, the, the bridge moment and be able to, to see what's going on in somebody's head, which is why I've deliberately put a stake in, um, my research to say, I, I want to look at the, the, the other end of this coin. I want to look at qualitative research. I want to sit people down and have, uh, interviews where we talk about um, their life and, and we can pull things out of those stories that are meaningful and that we can use um, to inform what teachers are doing in schools, what uh, nurses are doing in at the bedside, you know, and in a psych ward and stuff like that. So, great segue into... A little bit of a sidetrack. We have a three-bedroom apartment. One bedroom's obviously taken by Matt. <laughs> One bedroom's obviously taken by moi and Lolly. But then we have a third bedroom. And... A rap studio, if you will. You walk in, and some days Matt's got his headphones in, and to walk to my room, you have to walk past the spare bedroom. Sometimes I look in and I see almost looks like one of those um, montages in a movie. Mm. You know what I mean? When they play the music and it's like the detective has got like this string with the tacks in the wall. And well, make... Like hunting, hunting down the, the serial killer yeah. or like crime scene, whatever. So I look in and normally Matt's just like standing there staring at the wall doing his like with his finger on his lip. And across the wall every day, it's grown probably by about 20 different quotes. But is the wall is plastered. The whole room's plastered in different colored pieces of paper mm-hmm. with like huge arrows going from one piece of paper to the next piece of paper. And it's this spider web. So can you tell me more about that? <laughs> yeah. So I... Uh... Over the last uh, six months, eight months, I've been doing a pilot study for my program uh, to kind of test out some questions and to get my feet wet, kind of trying to find and sit down with people who've um, experienced really dark, dark times in their life. So I sat down with three... For this study, I sat down with three young adults uh, in their 20s and 30s uh, who had a, a past experience with suicide and um, in their own life. And I sat them down and asked them questions about um, their support networks and 
who was significant in their life and um, kind of getting a picture of how their their key relationships in their life have um, come and gone over the years, but especially kind of focusing around um, kind of the darkest storm of their life, like how they weathered that and how key relationships helped them do that or didn't help them do that. And what I'm, what my research is uh, really zeroing in on is this feeling of um, searing loneliness when people feel exquisitely alone, but they're surrounded by the people who love them. And the people who love them are saying the right things and they're, they're still showing up in their lives. But this particular individual at this particular time feels none of that and they don't feel cared for. And I want to understand, um, A, what, what the language of that is, uh, which has been very beautiful so far, um, and B, how do we re-spark that sense of connection in your darkest hour? So I've printed out these, uh, I've uh, did these interviews, I transcribed them, I printed them on three different colored sheets, I like cut them out uh, and pasted them across the wall and I've kind of grouped them. So that, that's going to be where I'm going to be spending lots of time when I write my comprehensive exam mm. to bring it <laughs> full circle uh, from the beginning. So um, I've met with my committee and we've kind of arranged that like my comp will basically be like write this paper, write up your study so that you can publish it and use that study as kind of a springboard into um, a more expansive um, study, which some call the dissertation. The dissertation. <laughs> um, but what you want to say as well, I think is pretty important, is this isn't just a slapdash effort. Like, you really have to grind. You're like, grind. You got to make your paper look good, sound good. <laughs> like, it isn't just you sit yeah. down and you say, um, I think this and I think this. And then just rip a rip like a quote out or whatever. Like you really have to sit there and be methodical. Yeah, it's gonna be and make it good. Gallons of coffee and um, just Matt closed off in a room for three weeks. But yeah, it's very um, emergent, which I which I really love about like most things in life, but especially this type of research is that the what's com- what's coming out of um, this study is. Uh, kind of from the ground up and everything is anchored in the voice of these three people. And they come from very different walks of life. They come from different provinces and even different countries. And it's amazing to see like how their stories and how their voice um, intersect. Uh, So for example, one piece of language that all of them use is this metaphor of a wall going up between them and their significant others when they were going through this um, dark time. And one person gave it this language of uh, that their heart was stone and that once they were kind of on the, the upswing back to being feeling normal and feeling healthy and no longer having, uh, a desire to in their life they talk about this as like a thawing 
that, that their heart began to thaw and that they could start to let other people in and themselves into their heart too. So it's just like so beautiful. Yeah. It's like I'm working with uh, these beautiful images and like poetry and I get to craft this story that basically says, uh, here's how you can re-spark connection with somebody who's going through the darkest storm of their life. So, mm. understanding, or not understanding, I'd say having a bit more of an understanding in the drop in the ocean, would you say that as an individual who's open to discussion um, or past experiences or like these new experiences, would you say as an individual you're comfortable with approaching people or would you rather them approach you? Because you've done a lot of approaching for people or like how did you find these people and if uh, if, okay. some, if someone saw you as like a little beacon of light would you yeah. would you Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Um, so I guess going back to something that we addressed earlier because uh, suicide is so taboo. Like there just isn't a lot of forums and places where people can uh, find like recognition for that, or find people who can understand and relate, or even express to people who can't relate, but just try to help other people understand. So um, I find myself being very forward often in groups and around people who might be interested in either my work or, um, I, I like people to know that, you know, that, the, well, this is, this is, this is basically the, the heartbeat of my research, but I want people to know that they're not alone. Like I want people to know that, uh, there are people who do care about them and there are people who do value their voice and that there is, um, such beauty and resilience in somebody's perspective, um, who's gone through the valley of the shadow of death and made it out on the other side. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love for, uh, if anyone listening to this was looking for somebody to, to just listen. Like I'd love to listen. Even like if they're curious, just, yeah. yeah. Um, like you're pretty open about like pretty open about it. Although, although this is a really big portion of my, my identity and, and who, who I'm, kind of becoming and uh, yeah I mean I, we still have I'm still the guy who will you know roll an Oreo down his face for an icebreaker and like you, you can't <laughs> like you cannot spend uh, you cannot spend like tons of time at the deep depths of your existence and um, you know you have to balance talking about like those you know the dark times with talking about things that really make you come alive um so yeah i guess yeah full circle uh i would love to talk i'm here i'm here i'm text call chat whatever i'm here and i mean and if anyone wants to play minute to win it for me <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and if you want to play Fortnite with Sam, <laughs> he's also open. To hit me up. <laughs> you start.
Semi T up to bat. And then followed by Matt. Voldemort. Whole cracks. <laughs> My bars are rigid. Mm. Flagging on the walls. Mm. Flagging on the water like a poor piss. I'm coming up from a wrist because I'm a tennis player with Capitano syndrome because I go hard when I play for Wimbledon. I'm going to win the cup. I'm going to bring it up. I'm going to raise the roof. I'm going to raise the bar. I'm going to slide on my car with a 360 10 degree driving with my friend Robin Parker. Mm. Yo, the only cup I'm winning is in Mario Kart in 64. I'm off the floor with all that Failure and success, I mix it all together to get a new mixture I call I'm gonna get into life. I don't know what rhymes, I lost my beat, but I'm gonna get my foot because I'm a fox trying swing dancing swinger. I'm bachelor. I'm maybe in the same house as Sammy Slytherin Gryffindor. I'm getting hot. Like I was baked by Jess Gyllenhaal I'm a pie Come up See my eyes mm. They glow Illuminescent mm. In the mm. night sky I'm driving on by You can see me With the window down I'm my elbow Sitting at the side of the door Waving my hand As the wind goes back and forth I'm mm. gonna drop the mic mm. And kick it over mm. To the DD star mm. Yo, I just picked up the microphone Feels like the first time I sang at karaoke. But I have everybody standing in the stands. They're waving their beers. They're waving their hands. They're saying, give me more of that matted ice. Give me some of that brandy. Give me some of that Stacy's mom. It's my very short repertoire. But tune in next week and you might hear more to Studio 603. We're out. If I was Voldemort, a piece, like a Horcrux, would be in Tim Horn's sour cream glazed donut. <laughs> we have fans all over the world. Are they serious to listen to this? Yes. Some that listen to every single episode. Hello. <laughs> <laughs>